Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Urbandale, Iowa. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Jesus Christ. Um, so this morning, uh, we are in a one, just kind of a one-off sermon um, called Conformed to the Image or the Likeness of Christ. And as we begin a brand new year, it's always such a, an, uh, an obvious opportunity Tomorrow will be the new year, of course, and so to reflect back on what has God been doing over this past year and what might he want to be doing in my life and our life in the coming year. And so it's a natural time to to step back a little bit and just reflect, and so I would encourage you to to be doing that this week and the coming weeks, to be reflecting on, God, what have you been teaching me, and God, what do you want to teach me as we go forward? And so, um, as you know, life on this earth is often quite challenging. And I'm sure this year some of you have faced tremendous challenges. Some of you face things that are um, quite shaking you to the core. And sometimes it's confusing. And sometimes we ask ourselves questions like, why are you allowing this, God? What's going on? What's my purpose in all of this? What are you trying to do? And oftentimes it's easy to get distracted or even discouraged or even derailed from our faith journey in the midst of things that are happening or in the midst of a world that's going crazy as well. And so it's okay to ask these legitimate questions like, Lord, what are you doing? What's my purpose here? Why am I here? What are you doing here? What's God's will for my life in this thing? It's okay to ask those questions, but I want to point us to the scripture today that answers some of those questions and hopefully gives you kind of a reset and a refocus as we go into 2024. And we're going to read out of Romans 8, 28 through 30, and we're going to look at primarily verse 29 today. That's the one verse we're really going to unpack, but I want to read verses 28, 29, and 30 to give you a little bit of context from Romans. Romans 8 is primarily about Paul talking about the new life walking in the Spirit and what that looks like for a believer who's indwelled by the Spirit of God. And so uh, follow along with me. Romans 8, 28 through 30 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, as we come to your word today uh, with my a meager offering of a sermon today, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would be the teacher in the room today, that you would be the one who instructs and guides, convicts, encourages, and exhorts. Use me as you see fit and is willing to be an instrument in your hands for the edification of your saints today. May Jesus be lifted high. In his name we pray, amen. So where we're going today is we're going to see a few things from from verse 29. We're going to see that it is our destiny to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That is our destiny. We're also going to talk about, well, what does that mean exactly? That sounds kind of weird and out there and ethereal. My destiny. What does that mean? What does that look like? And then how do we get there? How How do we become transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ? So first, when, you, when we read those verses from 28 to 30, we cannot miss who is the primary subject of all of those verses. I gave you the answer on the screen for you. 
It's God. He is the one doing all of the action. He is the one doing all the initiating. In verse 28, we see that God is the one working all things together for the good of his people. Whether we perceive things in this life to be hard or negative or counterproductive or not, the Bible tells us the truth that all things will work out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We don't always know what the good looks like this side of eternity, but we can hold on to the promise that even if we don't know what he's doing like the song we've just sung, he promises that he will force all things to be for our good and for his glory. That should take you bring great comfort to you today, does it not? All things, even if I can't understand how, he says, I will work that for the good of you, your sanctification, and for my glory. And then verses uh, 29 and 30 have been kind of called the golden chain of redemption. I'm not gonna unpack that too much today. That's a sermon for another time. You can look that up. But the golden chain of redemption encapsulates God's sovereign initiative towards us from eternity past to eternity future. So according to God's sovereign will and purpose, we learn that we have been foreknown, we have been predestined, we've been called, we've been justified, and we've been glorified. All those are past tense words in the text. Promises that are sure, accomplished, finished, held secure in the person and the work of Jesus Christ as well as the work of our triune God. So those are all good things. Therefore, the primary point of the emphasis of what's going on in this text today is that God is working in us, through us, and for us by the the gifts of the Spirit and the gifts of the Word. And so with that foundation then kind of in, in our mind, then now let's turn our attention specifically and exclusively to verse 29. So if you've got your Bibles, keep them open, your tablets, whatever, keep them open. We're gonna go basically phrase by phrase through verse 29 and unpack some of these really important words. So verse 29 Uh, is an explanation of the purpose of our redemption. The purpose of our redemption. Say, well, what is that for? Right, we know what we're saved from, right? We're saved from sin, the wrath of God, eternal separation, hell. We're saved from that, but why? And for what? There's many answers to that in Scripture. Ephesians 2.10 is one of them, that we've been saved by grace for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's one. But verse 29 gives us another answer. The other answer is we have been saved and redeemed, predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So the short answer is we've been saved to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That is one of the primary reasons you and I exist on this earth today. If heaven was the goal, if heaven was the only purpose, we'd be zapped up and we'd just be in heaven. There would be no reason to live down here. But God has said, there's gonna be a lot of things I'm gonna have you do and experience that will help you become more like Jesus while you are here. And so the big idea for today will be up on the screen. It's in your note guide if you're taking notes online or here in the room. The big idea today is this. Believers have been sovereignly chosen and divinely placed on a lifelong journey to be gradually transformed into a person who closely resembles Jesus. That's a lot of words. I'm gonna leave that up there for a second. We have been sovereignly chosen, divinely placed to be on a lifelong journey. This is a slow process. It's a marathon, not a sprint to be gradually transformed into a person who closely resembles Jesus. 
So let's dive in a little bit more now to the very first phrase. For those whom he foreknew. To those whom he's referring to are believers. Again, Romans 8 is not applicable to the unbeliever. It's only applicable to those who are in Christ. And the word foreknew is more than just this cognitive data or fact. Like, I know about apples, just whatever that might be. No, this word foreknew carries the idea of the way that God knows us in a deep, loving, in a personal, intimate, spiritual, and redemptive way. So foreknew is not just, I know him, right? And we see the same usage of this type of word even in Genesis 4 when it says, Adam knew his wife, and then she conceived and had a son. And so obviously knowing his wife, Adam knew his wife, not just in, I know her, she's my wife. He knew her in a deep, intimate, relational way. Knew her more than just knowledge. And so God not only knows us, obviously he knows everything, but he knows us in a deeply personal and a spiritual way. And so that's the beginning of this foundation. He knows you. He knows every nook and cranny of your heart, mind, and soul. He loves you in a redemptive way if you are a believer in Christ. So the next phrase then, he, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be. Now the word predestined is only used six times in the New Testament. Here are two examples, also by the Apostle Paul, from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1.5, Paul says, he predestined us, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Later on in chapter 1 in Ephesians 1.11, Paul says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So predestined means It is a God-ordained initiative. It's a God-ordained initiative that takes place in advance of any human action. God-ordained initiative that takes place before any human interaction. God has done that. Now what for then? So he's predestined us for what? To be. Okay, we've been predestined to be what? What has he set us on this path for? What has he taken initiative in our lives for? That we would be what? Well, predestination is always in reference to God initiating something in us and for us. So predestined to be what? He says that in the next phrase, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So now let's unpack this. So we've been predestined to be conformed. What does that mean? Well, the word conformed is a beautiful word. It's why I had you watch the video about the potter and the clay because the word conformed literally means molded or morphed or transformed. It's the idea that something starts out a certain way and over time it is changed and slowly, gradually morphs or changes into something that it was previously not. It's where we get the word metamorphosis, and we know what that word means. But this word specifically is only used twice in the New Testament. So it's a kind of a unique word. It's used both by the Apostle Paul. And again, this word is very, very similar to the imagery that we saw in the video. It's also similar to what uh, the, the prophet Jeremiah writes about in Jeremiah 18. You might be familiar with this passage. Well, I'm going to read it for you. Jeremiah 18, 1 through 7, this is the prophet Jeremiah giving a a word to the people of Israel about God's judgment, and he's using this imagery of a potter to point out God's sovereignty, God's initiative, and God's power to do whatever he wants with whomever he wants. 
So listen to this imagery, Jeremiah 18, 1 through 7. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? Declares the Lord, behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. This is a wonderful illustration that God as sovereign creator of all power and all authority has the right, the privilege, the honor, and the ability to do with us however he wants and however he pleases. And that's what this word conformed is really all about. We've been predestined by God's divine decree to be molded and to be conformed in the likeness of Christ. And we should praise God and rejoice that that is his plan for us. Amen? His plan is not, I'm going to save you and let you just sit in your immaturity for 58 years before you die or I come again. He says, no, no, my, my purpose for you is to grow up into maturity, to grow to be like my son. You read Ephesians, you see so much of that language with Paul in chapter four of growing up into maturity, to being like Christ, to putting off the old self, to put on the new self. All of this life is really about how can we grow to be more like King Jesus? So this is what's going on here. And to be reminded that God is the one who does the molding. He is the one who does the forming, the transforming. And this primarily happens through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who convicts us of sin. He is the one who brings to remembrance all the things that Jesus has said in his word so that we would be enabled by his power then to walk faithfully with Jesus and to look like Jesus. And as you know, one of the most difficult parts about sanctification is that it's so daily, right? Anybody relate to that at all? The daily sanctification, it's hard. There's, Adam talked about it, we all can relate. Every day we are being slightly and slowly molded and conformed and pressed, and as you know, that's not always easy. It's often not fun, and it often brings challenge and discipline, but the Bible tells us that those who've been trained by discipline reap a harvest of righteousness, Right? Hebrews talks about that. So it's hard, but it's good. So we are to be conformed, molded, transformed. But to what? Conformed to what? Paul answers the question in the very next phrase again. Conformed to the image of his son. Now we have to unpack this again too, the image. We often think image, we're thinking a picture on the screen. This word in the original languages carries the idea, and this is another amazing truth, that it carries the idea of a statue or a prototype. The prototype is being defined as the original or the model by which something is based or formed. My son, uh, Jonathan, turned 13 yesterday. And as we were driving around to and from some places that we were going, we saw an incredible Mach 1 Mustang. Now, I don't know anything about cars, so Pastor Mike's probably going to have to help me out on some of these things. But we looked at that car, and I'm going, man, that's a good-looking car. It's a really good-looking car. But when I think about prototype, that's the first image that comes to mind for me as a car. Someone builds a prototype of that Mach 1 Mustang and all of its lines and curves, the motor, all these types of things, it has to be specific. And if someone approves it, then they want to manufacture more of those Mustangs, right? Well, what do they model it after? The prototype. 
the original design, the original model, the main perfect thing that was designed at the very beginning when Ford said, we're going to make this specific model of Mustang and everyone after it has to look just like this one. That's the prototype. Jesus is our prototype, church. He is the divine prototype for us as believers. So Paul is saying, you have been predestined to be molded and transformed to look like Jesus, the divine prototype of all humanity. He's designed to be who we look at, who we run towards, and to be like. So when we put all of this together, this leads us to truth point number one. What Paul is saying is this, is because of God's sovereign plan, we are currently engaged in a spiritual process called sanctification, also known as transformation. And that gradually results in us becoming more like Jesus in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. And so as you think about your life, are you being conformed to the likeness of Christ? And at this point, I think it'd be wise to do some personal reflection on what's happened in the last year for you. Question number one would be this. In what areas are you more like Jesus today than you were at the beginning of 2023. And this might take a time, you know, take some time this afternoon, this week to really think about that. In what ways has the Holy Spirit been changing you? The way that you speak, the way that you talk, the way that you think, your thought life, your behavior, the way you treat other people, the way you interact with his word, the way you interact with his church, the way you interact with prayer or worship or your finances, your physical body stewardship. How, how is he moving you along the continuum to be more like Jesus? And re- write those things down because somewhere oftentimes we forget what God has done. And it, we need to write these things down somewhere so we can remember them and then give him praise, give him adoration and thanksgiving. We see Paul encouraging the church in Thessalonica to do the same thing. When he writes in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14, he says, But we ought always, always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, be thankful that you have been chosen to be saved and also be thankful that the Holy Spirit of God is sanctifying you. He's sanctifying you in truth, in likeness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So practice daily gratitude this week for what he's done in your life this year. But then on the other side of that coin, let's also reflect on what areas do you still need to see the Holy Spirit transform your life. And we don't have to say those out loud. We all know what those things are, probably, when something comes to your mind. What areas still need work? In what areas do you probably still need to grow into the likeness of Jesus? What areas still need transformation? I know for me there are many. Self-control with eating, exercise, discipline, being in the Word, prayer. There's multiple things that come to mind immediately for me that I think I would like to see the Holy Spirit mature me in these areas this year. And so one word of warning, though, that I want to encourage us is I've been a Christian a decent amount of time, not as long as some of you, but in my Christian life, I know that it's easy to kind of coast on previous things learned and previous things gained and previous knowledge acquired. Can anyone relate to that? It's kind of easy to be like, yeah, I've learned that, and you just kind of coast on, yeah, I've learned those things. I'm kind of good. I feel like I've got a decent amount of knowledge. 
And I just want to encourage us, let's not coast. Let's not coast on what we've previously gained. We don't see that language at all in the New Testament. We don't see, just hold on, just chill. In fact, Philippians 3 is one of my other favorite chapters in the Bible, second to Romans 8. Philippians 3, Paul is pointing out that the greatness and the surpassing worth of knowing Christ is really his greatest treasure. And then he also goes on to say, in light of that truth, he says in Philippians 3, 13 through 15, he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Meaning Paul says, I I haven't mastered this faith. I haven't mastered walking with Christ. But Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I press on what? Toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. So Paul says, forget what was behind. What you haven't mastered, that's okay. Let's strain forward. Let's press on to the goal of knowing Christ, treasuring him more, being more like him. Church, can we press on this year? Yes, we can. How? By the power of the Spirit. We cannot transform ourselves. Let's get that clear right right away. We cannot change ourselves. Okay, you cannot change your heart. You cannot change your mind. However, there is a divine combination of the Holy Spirit of God who does the work, who accomplishes the outcome. But there's also a human responsibility that I have to wake up in the morning and open the book. I have to pray. I have to fast. I have to lead my family. I have to walk in the ways of Jesus to the best of my ability, trusting his enabling power in me, not just my own strength, not just my own knowledge. So it is him who does the heavy lifting, but he also says, Brett, make an effort to grow. Press on. So church, that's my encouragement to you. Paul had a single-minded devotion when he wrote Philippians. It was to exalt Christ, to grow in Christ, and to treasure Christ. May we be the same in this coming year, amen? So make this a daily matter of prayer. Whatever it is that you feel the Holy Spirit pressing upon you that you need to grow in, make that a matter of daily prayer, daily meditation in Scripture about what the Bible has to say about that thing, and then seek to prayerfully submit to his help as he helps you grow. A couple other of practical encouragements as we look towards being conformed into the likeness of Christ this year. Number one, seek to defeat sin. There is nothing that will stunt your spiritual maturity faster and more holistically than not battling your sin. Every one of us has it. It's the reason the gospel is good news. But how do we defeat it? Again, to Romans 8, verse 13. There's many other verses that we could talk about, but Romans 8, 13 says this. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now notice the divine combination again of God's part and our part. He says, you put to death the deeds of the body. And we're like, okay, I need to put to death, need to put to death the deeds of the body. How do I do that? Well, he told us, by the Spirit. So the Spirit is the power that helps us to put to death the deeds of the body. But again, we have to seek that. We have to prayerfully pursue that. Put to death the deeds of the body. Famous Puritan pastor John Owen once said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. 
If you want to grow in Christ, you have got to defeat your sin, and you've got to do that by treasuring Christ above all else, treasuring his word daily, prayerfully, humbly asking the Holy Spirit to change you, transform you, change your desires, to change your mind. And in addition to that, take sin seriously. There is no sin that's not a big deal. It's all a big deal because it all, first and foremost, is a sin against a holy, righteous, good, perfect God. When David sinned against Bathsheba and he writes Psalm 51 in response, it's the first thing he says. Oh, Lord, have, against you and you alone have I sinned. Now, he didn't just sin against him, but he knows that the primary sin, grievance, was a vertical sin against a holy God. Take sin seriously. Utilize the weapons that he has given you to defeat that sin. So that's number one, defeat sin. Secondly, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 talk about this. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then verses 22 through 25. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Did you hear that? Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. That means defeat your sin. We walk by the Spirit to crucify the flesh. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So church, let's defeat sin. Let's walk in step with the Spirit. Let's crucify the flesh. Let's be prayerfully asking the Spirit to transform us daily. And that leads us to truth point number two. The primary means by which we experience transformation is through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Again, I can't say this enough, and I know this is hard because you can't just put a formula to that. (laughs) There's not an ABC book. There's not a one, two, three, just do this, and he'll change your life. There is a effort and a journey to communing daily with the Lord and praying that the Holy Spirit would change you, surrendering to him, listening to him, aligning your heart with his, which is why reading the word is so important. How do I know God's will? He wrote a lot of it down. The more we memorize it and hide it in our heart, the Bible says we will not sin against him, right? So we have to be in the word, but he is the one doing the work. Now, as we look at the last phrase of verse 29, we've seen a lot, we've been predestined, to be molded into the likeness of Jesus. He's the divine prototype that all of us should hope and seek to look like, live like, talk like. Jesus is who we are aiming at. Why? In verse 29, the very last part, it says, in order that he, meaning Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, this might sound strange in our English. Why is is Jesus going to be the firstborn among many brothers. What's that about? Well, this is not about Jesus just being the first one born, but it's about the reality of Jesus' preeminence as the supreme example for humanity. It goes back to the divine prototype again. This ties in um, with the, the many brothers, meaning all of us, all believers, that we would be like the firstborn. We would be like him, the firstborn, the supreme example, that we would be like him, 
that he would have many brothers and sisters that look like him. That's the goal, that there would be a family of Jesus-focused followers. And imagine, church, what a church our size would look like in our communities, our neighborhoods, and our workplaces if we were a people who were continually looking more and more like Jesus. Would that not have a radical impact on our city? It would. And many of you are on that journey. Praise God, keep going. But that's the goal. So church, it's a powerful reminder as well that Jesus should never be viewed just as a good teacher, just as a good example, just as maybe a good friend, although he is all of those things. But Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the divine prototype. He is supreme. He is preeminent. And he is the treasure, the prize, the goal, and the aim for all believers all time. Amen? So, when the church collectively pursues Jesus and seeks to emulate his life everywhere they go, who gets the glory? Who gets the credit? King Jesus. Because when everyone says, if anyone says, man, you are so fill in the blank, holy, gracious, kind, gentle, loving, hopefully we would be quick to say, praise God. It's only by the work of the Spirit that I'm looking more like Jesus today, and he gets all the glory, and he's my chief example. He's my greatest treasure. I hope to be like him more tomorrow right? He gets the glory. His name should be adored and praised among the nations because he is worthy and he is supreme. And that leads me to the last passage we're going to read here today, which is Colossians 1. Jesus, again, about the firstborn, about his supremacy. I want you to hear this in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. This is all referencing Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything in everything and in every one, he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Church, Jesus is supreme. He's worthy of all of our praise, admiration, and devotion, is he not? And in this year, I want to encourage you and charge you and exhort you, make Jesus your greatest treasure, your greatest prize, your greatest goal, your greatest devotion, your greatest priority. He must be in a category all his own. I have previously said Jesus should be number one, other people should be number two, your spouse and kids. I think that's not the right, right, right way to say that. Jesus shouldn't be in a list with anyone else. Jesus should be in a category all by himself. He doesn't have competition. He is in his own category. So I'm changing my mind on how I say that. Hopefully you can give me some grace on that. So Jesus should be the only priority in a category all his own. Amen? Because of who he is and what he has done. And then after that, there's a whole other category of human priorities. But Jesus is separate. He must be supreme in all things. So for those of you who then are here today, who may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this moment right now is the most important part of this message for you. 
Because if you die in your sin and in your rebellion against God without a personal and saving relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you will spend an eternity in hell apart from God because of your rebellion and sin. That's heavy. That's bad news. But all mankind was born into that place, being spiritually depraved, spiritually dead, and in rebellion against God. That's how we all are started. That's how we all are born. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. What our sin earns us is separation from God eternally. And all who die in that place will not be forgiven and do not have a second chance. So that's heavy. But here's the good news. God has made a way for that not to be the case for you. God has made a way to be forgiven, for you to be reconciled to the Father through trusting by faith alone in Christ alone, who himself took all of your sin on himself, died on the cross for your sin as a substitute, as a sacrifice, was brutally murdered for you on purpose, laid down his life, was risen three days later that conquered sin and death, atoned for your sin, appeased the wrath of God, and proved once and for all that he was a one-of-a-kind divine prototype for the world. And now he calls you to himself and says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Acts 4, 11, and 12 says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one way to spend eternal life with the Father, and it's through Jesus Christ. So today, if you are in that place, I want to encourage you to repent. Repent of your rebellion, your sin, your self-centeredness. Repent and turn to Christ. Fall on him. His work has done it all. If you can believe and repent and trust in him today, the Bible says that you will be saved. You confess him as Lord. You believe in him as master. And you turn over your life and let him call all the shots in your life from this day forward until he comes again or you die. The Bible says you can be a Christian. If you have questions about that, I would love to talk to you afterwards. My contact information is on the, on the screen Uh, Please don't leave here if you have questions about the gospel. Jesus is our only hope in this life and the one to come. Are you walking with him? And for you believers now, some final application for the church, for those who are walking with Jesus. Again, I've said it multiple times, I'll say it again. Church, treasure Christ above all else in 2024. He must be our daily pursuit. Secondly, Uh, Go to the next steps table after the service over in the cafe. There's multiple resources as you continue to learn and grow. There might be areas where you say, I need to be transformed. I need to take a next step. Everyone in this room has a next step. Everyone. I like to say, if you're not dead, you're not done. (laughs) Right? If you are a Christian, you're breathing right now, you're not done. God wants to conform you. He wants to mold you into the image of Christ more this week. What is that? I don't know. That's between you and the Holy Spirit and His Word to to discern. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. 
We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.